lesson comes to us from the good news according to St. Luke, the second chapter. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the gospel of our Lord. The few few of you who've been with us for the 10 years, with me at least, the last 10 years, have heard some of these anecdotes, but uh, I thought I'd start, and we have some new folks that haven't been with me for 10 years, so you haven't heard all my stories. Uh, One of the interesting things about my family and growing up is... uh, both sides, my paternal and maternal um, side of the, sides of the family. Uh, one are ranchers in Montana, and the other are farmer farmers in north central Washington. Uh, orchards. My mom work, grew up on a working farm and orchard. Uh, and one of, there's many lovely things about that: getting to go home over and always spend time on a working farm. Uh, and one of the things that you notice is there's always different structures. So there's people where the seasonal workers live. There's where the grand house where grandma and grandpa lived. Um, then there's all sorts of structures, tool sheds, but there was always a barn. I always had a big barn. And 
My granddad's barn particularly uh, was multi-purpose. There was lots of stuff that went on in the barn. Uh, of course, you could store hay in there, and sometimes the animals would come in uh, for shelter. But he kept a large part of it for tools uh, and other sorts of things. Sometimes it was mysterious. And so getting to go into the barn was always felt a little bit special or sometimes a little bit off limits. Uh, you go into the barn, I think all the things that I learned in a barn, I learned how to shoot a rifle from a barn. Uh, I learned uh, how to drive a four-wheeler and start a tractor. Uh, I, right outside the front of the barn, and partway through the barn, watched uh, a, a cow be slaughtered and broken down uh, for food. So lots of things around a barn, they're really uh, important to a working farm, and yet they're strange places, right? Because usually, even if important things happen in a barn, uh, they're, they're kind of ramshackle structures. You don't usually have heat, for example, in there, or any of the other sort of accoutrements of hanging out or comfort. Uh, people don't like to hang out. You know, there's ant smells like manure. It smells barnyardy. That's where we get that term. They're very earthy places. Uh, they're often kind of, you know, just falling apart or old or weathered, these sorts of things. The first Christmas, of course, took place in a barn. You can bet that Mary didn't want to be in a barn. Joseph, you imagine, felt like a failure as a husband and a dad-to-be, getting them stuck in a barn. I'd guess that perhaps the shepherds were the only ones excited about the barn because it was an upgrade from the dangers of the field. And all of this in the first Christmas is great ordinariness and earthiness and perhaps even disappointment. They're in fairly brutal circumstances, one that might seem to have no point. If you remember the beginning of the reading, it says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, from the king of the time, if you will, the emperor, and all the whole world, which meant their empire, should be registered. It says this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to be registered back to their hometown. This first Christmas is ordinary. It takes place amongst a chore, a hassle. And yet, there is God working in every detail. See, this first Christmas takes place before a backdrop of a worldwide census. A registration means a census. And this king, Caesar Augustus, wanted to count each and every person in order to see how great his empire was. And also, of course, to get taxes. If you know everyone's name and where they live and where they come from, then you know how to get a hold of them and make them pay taxes. And so, first Christmas is about getting registered to pay taxes to a hated enemy that's ruling over you. And getting registered is a hassle. I hate it. I hate it when I have to do it online. I hate it even more when I have to register for something in line somewhere, like the DMV or jury duty. Probably no one likes getting registered. Even the people doing the registering never seem to like it. I'm sure Joseph and Mary didn't like it either. They had traveled about 75 miles a week of travel. We'll never know quite how difficult it was for them to get to Bethlehem. But of course, nobody knows quite how difficult it is for us to get to Bethlehem. And what I mean by that is that many of us are trying to get to Bethlehem because Bethlehem is the place now we know, these millennia later, it's the place where God showed up. It's that place of mystery and wonder, far removed from the ordinary world. It's a place that feels magical and peaceful to us. That's what we want from Christmas. And that's what we want from any other holy days. 
Oh, a special sense of rapture and transcendence or meaning and purpose and connection with something bigger than ourselves. And sometimes meeting with God does feel like that. But often it feels like a census. Perhaps much of the time it may feel like standing in line at the DMV. And just hear at this point that the hassle is used by God to bring about prophecy. He uses the details, the ordinary details of their life to fulfill his greatest promises to the world. An ancient tax policy brings about the Christ being born in Bethlehem as it had been predicted. I'm sure sitting there, they didn't see all that trouble was a way that God had shown up and was working. I'm sure they weren't thinking, oh, God ordained it just this way. He planned this. This is part of something God is doing to bring us his love. This is for our salvation. They probably weren't thinking that in the barn. And yet it was. This was the way that God was loving them. And of course, it wasn't just for them. Mary and Joseph got registered that night in Bethlehem so the angels could tell the shepherds, I bring you glad tidings. They got registered that night so I could stand up here and tell you there was a Savior born for you, and his name is Jesus, and his love can overcome everything. And what I also want you to hear is that you are that barn. We are like barns. We can feel so ordinary, weathered, not full of heat and warmth and comfort, fading, maybe in my case full of manure. We can be smelly, we can be told that we're not the right color, that we're aging too quickly, that we're not strong enough or smart enough or good looking enough. And here is the good news of Christianity, of Jesus. It is now possible for the first time in history, and more than possible, it's necessary to look for God and for good news, and for us and for the whole world to be made whole, to be shalomed, given his peace, to be put back together again. That's what salvation means, to look for this precisely where no one in history had ever looked for it. And that is not in a palace, not on a powerful ancient dynasty's throne, not behind legions of soldiers, not under a stream of banners in a parade, not from the power of a census or taxes, not on the front page of the New York Times, but instead to look for God in the dark, on the margins, with the temporarily homeless and the wandering, with overlooked ordinary people and farm animals, near a teenage virgin and an older man whose reputation was now quite suspect, in a barn. This is where the almighty power of God for salvation is concentrated and where his legion of angels congregate to worship the baby in a barn. And so every story of an underdog or an ordinary hobbit being used for great things or an orphan with special powers and so on, all of these stories that we celebrate in movies and in books come from this story of Christianity. These aren't the kind of stories that were told in the ancient world before God lived this story. All the stories are of great kings and of power and of censuses. And here, we are told that God is with us. 
in our ordinary, when we are locked out of the nice rooms to rest in, when we are locked out of the halls of power in the world, in the places where we huddle in the dark alone for safety and shelter, even in a barn, in the barn that is me, in the barn that is you. Do we think this can be true of us? That God's will can come about even when we're just going to the DMV? In the ordinary people we meet? In the simple ways we respond to them? In the small acts of faithfulness and loyalty and love and kindness and generosity we do for friends and children and family and strangers? We may get fired. Someone might break our heart. We might be called to travel for a census. And in all these things, God can and is present and working his good news, which brings us to the baby. You are a barn. And the story continues with the baby in that barn. An angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Messiah. He is the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in a swaddling cloth and lying in a barn, in a manger. We all want so hard to be special, to be strong, to be smart, to be powerful, to be loved. We don't want to be vulnerable or weak. We spend our days trying to grow up and to become self-sufficient, but of course, children, when you think about them, are weak and vulnerable. In many ways, they're helpless. Children depend on you. That's why they're called dependents. They have very little agency. They don't decide where they go or what they do. Their lives are in the hands of other people. This is what a children's This is the lot of children to realize they are weak and vulnerable and dependent. And of course, no children are more vulnerable than little newborn babies. Human babies are uniquely helpless and weak among all species. I mean, you've seen film of horses being born, right? Think of a barn, farm animals. Well, those horses come out and pretty soon after birth, they can walk. They need their mothers, but not in the way that humans do. Humans need another nine months outside the womb to get to the place where other animals are right at birth. Think about that. Human babies can't move on their own. They can't feed themselves. They can't protect themselves from any danger. To be a baby is to be almost entirely helpless and weak and vulnerable. And God became a baby. The almighty and everlasting creator of all things became a vulnerable little human newborn. Void of strength and smarts. Vulnerable and dependent. The Christian word for this is incarnation. To be enfleshed. And it's important that I say this. It not just doesn't mean that God took on a skin suit. It means that he became fully human being. Whatever it means for you to be a human being, God knows that. One writer who 
a woman named Rachel Evans who actually died fairly young a few years ago. She wrote this before her passing about the incarnation. It is nearly impossible to believe God shrinking down to the size of a zygote implanted in the soft lining of a woman's womb. God growing fingers and toes. God kicking and hiccuping in utero. God inching down the birth canal, entering this world covered in blood, perhaps into the steady waiting arms of a midwife. God crying out in hunger. God reaching for his mother's breasts. God totally relaxed, eyes closed, his chubby little arms raised over his head in a posture of complete trust. God resting it in his mother's lap. This is the true miracle of the incarnation. The core Christian conviction that God is with us. Plain old ordinary us. God is with us in our fears and in our pain and our morning sickness and our ear infections and our refugee crises and in our endurance of empire in smelly barns and unimpressive backwater towns in the labor pains of a new mother and in the cries of a tiny infant. In all these things, God is with us, and God is for us, she writes. The Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, the one the Bible says continually sustains this world by his word, became a baby. The one who once spun quasars into existence is now dependent upon a teenage girl in the Middle East. For nine months, like all other babies, he was in the womb of his mother Mary, and not only did he have to go wherever she wanted to go, but he needed her body. His body was sustained and grew through her. After he was born, his dependence upon her and others only grew. In order to eat, he needed her. In order to keep clean, he needed her. At night, he would cry out to her, and sometimes it wasn't because he was hungry or needed to be clean, but he cried because he was lonely or scared, and just because he needed to be held. Medical research has shown beyond any dispute that babies, in order to develop well, need human touch. They need to be held and kissed and caressed in order to develop physically and emotionally. Babies who aren't held and touched can not only suffer long-lasting and deep and permanent emotional wounds, they can actually die. That's how important human touch is for babies. And the Lord God became a baby. Sometimes he cried out because he needed to be held. Is God the strongest, smartest, most powerful being that's ever existed? Yes. But he's also the weakest, the loneliest, the lowest, the most humble, the most vulnerable, the most desirous of being held close by us and to us. See, you are the barn And the good news is that Jesus is born in you. He's made himself, he's made us a fitting home for himself. See, you worship a God who has a glorified human body and your body will join him someday. This is the intimacy he promises, that we will be flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, that we are the bride who will come home to him. The church fathers put it this way. They said, God became man in order that man might become God, that we might be united to him, union with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our resurrected flesh and in our spirit now, that he comes to take residence among us through his love and by the power of his spirit. And that means every piece of us, our existence, our tears, our sorrows, our fears, our knowledge, our confusion, our hope, our despair, our love and our resistance, 
our loneliness and our deep hunger for communion, he embraced all of this. He took it into himself and he's drawing us now, all of us and our world into God. Transformed through death and life, through suffering and healing, all of us become more and more like God and into God and unto God. Just to say, God is that baby. God was in that barn. He still comes to us, vulnerably, needy, and is born into you every moment that you believe. He delights to dwell in you. He will be vulnerable to you, even depend on you, cling to you, receive from you. He is in you, saving you, bringing new wonders into you. Bringing new wonders from around to see what's going on in your life. We heard news. He will grow up in you. He will be birthed more and more into the world through each one of you. As he grows, he will grow up and remain in relationship with you and love you. Even when he confounds you with his mystery and power. He will save you. That's what his name means. The God who saves. Yeshua. He will save the world and he will use you to do it. You have played an irreplaceable role. You are the born, barn and Jesus has been born in you. This Christmas he lives in you. In your ordinary. And so this Christmas morning, as you return to your homes from this scene, ponder these things in your heart like Mary. Glorify and praise God for all you've heard and seen like the shepherds. Sing with the angelic chorus, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those with whom he is pleased. The baby is in the barn. What a gift. Merry Christmas. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm.